0: Professionals often have to be comfortable facilitating and being part of difficult conversations. Sometimes when you're faced with this situation, it helps to get another perspective.
1: The D.H. Leonard Consulting's Grant Writer-in-Your-Pocket service is just for that, when you need a grant professional's opinion. No contract needed, and the conversation can be as short or as long as it takes to address your questions.
0: Learn more at but
1: first. little throwback.
0: When you need assistance,
1: call DH Leonard Consulting.
0: Then you've got a grant writer in your pocket
1: and grant awards can go ka-ching.
0: Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to
1: Season 5 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast.
0: So, we're here to help you make sense of the complex world of grant writing and fundraising, whether you work for a nonprofit, local government, or are a consultant who serves them. On fundraising heyday, we will cover the how-tos, but we also want to explore the whys of things. The not the letter why, the w-h-y-s of things, including poking the ugly grizzly bear of inequity that roams the forest of the world of philanthropy.
1: Yes. And as always, we like to poke the bear every two weeks with the help of experts in the field and our particular brand of entertainment. No
0: bears were harmed in the making of this podcast. (laughs) Not at all. Yes.
1: But um, there probably will be songs and cheesy sound effects, and y'all pops in there all the time. But we do it this way because learning doesn't have
0: to be boring. This podcast is brought to you by our season five sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today.
1: So if you are a first-time listener, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you have packed your virtual bags because we are traveling across some great divides in landscape of raising money. Numbers versus storytelling, for instance, or that ridiculous gulf that some misguided souls foster between fundraising and grant writing.
0: That's right. And one of the best ways to bridge those gaps, mine those gaps or whatever other cliche fits the bill, which is also a cliche, I know, is the best way we can do that is to talk about it with a seasoned expert who has been there and is now here with us. Yes. So
1: on today's episode, we're thrilled to have T. Clay Buck with us. Clay is a 30-year fundraising veteran and has served in leadership fundraising roles at several nonprofits across the country and as a senior consultant with prominent national development consulting firms. He's got experience in all aspects of fundraising with particular expertise in individual giving, strategic planning, copywriting, and content development, and building the systems and infrastructure that support high-level results. He is the founder of TCB Fundraising, an individual giving and fundraising communications consultancy based in Las Vegas, Nevada, he is also the lead fundraising coach for iWave, helping to bring fundraising intelligence to all levels of philanthropy. Clay has held his Certified Fundraising Executive, or CFRE, since 2010. He's an AFP Master Trainer and completed the Certificate in Philanthropic Psychology with distinction from the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. He makes his home in Las Vegas and teaches fundraising and strategic planning at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Clay, welcome! It's fundraising heyday. Thank
2: you. I am so happy to be here. Well,
1: I'm thrilled that ha- I, have
2: here? To, I have to mention that you, you have uh, put me in mind of a Lyle Lovett song called "Bears," um, and there's a line from that song where he says, "Me, I just bear up to my bewildered best," and I've sort of claimed that as a as a as a life oh, uh, as a life nice. motto. So. So I'm going to add to your nice. bear discussion of you know bearing up to my bewildered best. Bewildered and, uh, best. Look forward, looking forward to this conversation.
0: I'm well, just writing I, that
1: down. Don't mind me. Yeah. Well, and as I was reading your bio, the TCB, which of course is your initials, but of me, the Elvis fan that I am, I'm like, take yes, right? <laughs> I love
0: yes. It.
2: yes I love there it. are very I have to. There are very few that get that, but that is very intentional because of course I'm based in Las Vegas, you know, home of the king. So, yes. yeah, good. Yeah, it's that's that's I'm there for trying a
0: to refrain. I'm hearing the song, I'm gonna step away from it. No, not no, no, I no. Oh, yeah, so. We'd lo- I, actually, I will say, though, before we get started, I just had um, a lot of fun talking with Clay and figuring out that we were both in the same college town, having similar college mm-hmm. experiences, just a few years apart, just a very yeah, few years apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just always a wonderful connection to make. So we were both in Athens, Georgia. I'm going to say in the 80s. I will also, of course, let's, say yeah, I was there, there previously. Yeah, we're just going to leave it there. Let's, let's but let's that just it was there. just lots mm-hmm. of fun. So when Ooh. I was um, super devoted to my studies and in no way involved in any kind of music scene or cereal <laughs> shopping for vintage clothing, because I was so serious. The junk
2: junkman's daughter's brother?
0: Oh, listen, the Episcopal Women's Thrift Store. I mean, yeah. <laughs> every Thursday, every yeah. Thursday, 10 a.m., your girl was there. So clearly, the last thing on my mind was being a grand professional. Or fundraising professional, (laughs) or development director. So usually, it's been our experience that anybody that that uh, comes on um, as as a guest, um, they the word that might describe their career journey that word might be circuitous. And so, Mm -hmm. um, Amanda, and I would love to hear your story of how you got into, I believe, first grant writing and then fundraising as a whole. If I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so I was a theater major at uh, Georgia, uh, at UGA, go Dogs. Um, I was a theater major. And you remember the mid-late 80s was kind of the height of the National Endowment for the Arts scandals and crises. Oh, right,
0: and, right, yeah, right.
2: And as, as a pretentious young theater major, right, theater funding was was a huge passion point of mine and we talked a lot about it in classes and we learned about you know how theater has been funded throughout history blah 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 and then went on to graduate school at michigan state and same same thing right we were the nea issues had started to lessen by then you know now we're into the early and mid 90s but even so theater funding was constantly a a passion of mine so moved to chicago Um, Because, uh, you know, I had trained, learned I'm going to be an actor and, of course, learned very quickly I needed a day job. Um, I had some skills, signed up with a temp agency, and the very first place they placed me was a nonprofit whose grant writer had gone on vacation. um, And they needed somebody to fill in um, just to do administrative work. And then, I mean short story made longer than it needs to be but they came to me like literally my second day of being a temp and go do you have any writing skills and like well I did just finish my master's so maybe and they're like please just give this a tackle here's sort of the layout just if you can just get you know a rough draft of this done it will help us I wrote it handed it in they loved it um, they like you've got skills and we need a grant writer are you interested in a full-time position so my very first job the was adding history. on were you right yeah pretty much Um, it was a a nonprofit graduate school, uh, in early child development. And I wrote grants primarily for, uh, arts integration, um, and arts in the classroom for early childhood, uh, programs in inner city schools, which to me was getting to fulfill, you know, my passion for the arts, my passion for arts funding. And then lo and behold, learned, you know, learned a transferable skill and that then translated into moving into, you know, other performing arts organizations. And now here we are. Well, 25 30 years later and yeah well you started just,
0: as a 10 year old so okay. yes, yes, yes
2: precisely precisely a grant writing prodigy shall we say
0: a prodigy <laughs> the Mozart the Mozart of grant writing ladies and gentlemen hardly,
2: hardly. and and you know I, I will say this to this day I still learn things about writing <laughs> grants and writing and structuring language and how you present case it is an ever evolving. skill set and ever evolving learning process. And I think back onto what I was doing then with grants that were getting funded and go, wow, that was terrible. You know what I know today. Anyway. Oh, I would hate Uh, to read it. By no means a prodigy. Yeah. We don't
0: we don't ever need to go back and look at those first grants. I just
2: I still have them. I saved copies.
0: I used to have
1: because back when I first started writing, like it was still very much the which y'all probably experienced too. Like you make the copy, right? like and mail in the original and however many copies. Oh yeah. And so I would always make one copy for myself, and I had a stack at Mm -hmm. home. And finally, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I need more room for clothes and shoes. So I finally got
0: rid of because priorities. I mean, priorities. yes.
2: Yep. remember sure. carbon paper? I used to do grants on carbon paper.
1: Oh man!
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. People complain today about online portals.
2: The
0: kids they today. Find people like me, find people the kids, like kids me. today. <laughs> right? Oh,
2: that's
0: hilarious. walking right? up hill in the snow both ways just to get that grant out, which yes. never happened our, in Atlanta. Can I say? Mm, Art,
2: <laughs> I remember I don't the don't ice really storm of nineteen ninety three or nineteen eighty three. So. <laughs> That's funny.
0: It feels like 1883 yeah. now to talk about it with all the Goodness time and all the weirdness going on now.
2: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I have a feeling no
0: Amanda doubt. has a really important question coming up.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there's just there's quite the lead in. That. Amanda,
1: just ask something. your question.
0: So, Clay, um, I found, and
1: I know a lot of people have too, that there's often a perception that grant writing and fundraising are two very separate things and never the tweens shall meet. Like, you know, dogs mm-hmm. and cats living together it just can't happen. Um, that hasn't been my experience, thankfully, in a lot of places I've worked. Um, and it doesn't seem like yours since you started as grants morphed into fundraising, but what do you see kind of as the similarities and differences, especially regarding the data you're collecting and storytelling and gosh, can't just everybody get along. Good.
2: And I I really, really think you have to drive I don't know. We have a lot of terminology in our work that means things to different people. So please forgive me. Just give, give me a moment to kind of build into my response to that if I could. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of research and a lot of studies and a lot of more information. I think we are in one of the most exciting times in my career to be doing the work we do because we have so much data. We have so much information. We know more now. It's not just this is best practice because we know it worked. It's this is best practice because we have data to prove that it worked, right? we have a lot of terminology, though, that has held over that means things to different people. So there's all these reports, you know, this is why donors give. Well, you say donor to me and my individual giving guy heart goes to the $100, 250 $500 individual donor, right? You say donor to a major gifts officer and they're thinking they're, they're you know, $10, 50 $100, 1000000 million gift, right? Right you say grants to someone and some people go to family foundation grants and corporate grants. Some folks go to grants you send into businesses to, you know, sponsor you know, their sponsorship grants. And some go to government federal pass through, you know, all of that. So I do think there's a, there, there has to be some sort of definitions to this. I understand the need in budgeting where where budget line items are separated out and where grants, especially federal grants, government grants, go to a specific line and because they go to program expense and et cetera. I understand the accounting version of it. And I think that does drive some of the discrepancy between, right, and some of the division between grants and the rest of the funding. I don't get the division, though, either, why are we telling a different story or a different structured story in a federal grant versus what we're saying in a family foundation versus what we're we're saying in a direct mail appeal this is all the same information it's just different pieces and parts of it that get told and and whenever i do a development audit um or whenever i review right? I ask for the grants because I want to see how you're telling the story across every venue that you have. When I look at a grant application, do I see the same organization that's on your website, that's in your direct mail appeal, that's in your annual report? And, and this, there, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a bit, a bit of a soapbox moment, but I often find in, in, Analyzing and working strategically with shops when there is that strong division, you see strong disparity in how the story is told, how the message is told, what 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 data they're reporting. You know the the the, the grant team over is over here going, we've served you know thirty thousand youth this year, and you know um, the annual report is saying seventy thousand. Like all of these discrepancies that, when you start to look look holistically at an organization this doesn't look like the same org at all. I, to me it's a, to me it's a leadership question and it's one thing for our executive directors and ceos and senior leadership staff to to break down those silos and understand and look at that all of this interrelates. all of it reacts and especially for dealing with local grants the people who read those are exactly that they are people, right? and they are people who are part of our community. So how we tell that story to them as, as those types of funders really needs to be very similar to how we're telling the story to our communities at large, to our volunteers, all of that.
0: Are there some sort of building on that, which I completely and totally agree with that I'm rarely completely silent and my, and, and, in, 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 in my chair, but I it's found true. myself going, yes, preach, yes, preach, preach, preach. Yes. Um, as someone who moved moves back and forth in uh, in career and also now in my own business between fundraising, grant writing, strategic planning, and all those things, I can see clearly how they all relate. But your point is very well taken that if leadership within um, a particular nonprofit or it would mainly be nonprofits, obviously local government, you're not going to have mm-hmm. a whole lot of individual fundraising, maybe a police or a library foundation, true. but that it's that it's sort it was this weird di- dichotomy and it's actually this this, there are a lot of the same skills that come into play. I guess that's where I'm I'm going with this because as a grant writer, I was often reaching out to family foundations and you make the very good point. It's people. There are even people mm-hmm. that read your state and federal uh, grant applications. It yeah. may not feel like it when you read everything that you're yeah, supposed to do in the order and the word count, but they're all just people. And I think sometimes it's easy for grant writers to either feel shunted in or kind of want to stay in this well I'm just a writer and actually if you're stepping out I just see that there are ways I've seen ways that fundraisers and grant writers in the same shop have supported each other and I was just wondering if you had some thoughts or feelings about that how they they could best support each other since we're all trying to do the same thing just in slightly different formats we're all trying to transform communities make things better um, through connections
2: and through money, um, th- there's there's a couple of things on 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 that 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 I believe, and um, I have to own, especially, and and I will say this, um, and I I will own this. I am a white cisgendered male who grew up in the South in the 80s. I have had to challenge every day um and work on my own bias my own experiences and and i am not fully successful at that yet um i hope that 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 i hope that others um in leadership roles are starting to address this because i believe that we have to have to and and i i have failed in the past i have failed in my career But I really believe that we have to be looking at from a leadership level everything through the lens now of, not now, we should have been doing it for years. We have to be looking at the lens of inclusion and equity. We have to. And that goes, that filters throughout the whole organization. And my point there is, that filters to our grant writers and our quote-unquote frontline fundraisers. P.S., grant writers are frontline fundraisers. Come on, can we just not, like, they are. So what that means is we have to be looking at how all of our messaging and how we position the organization and how we talk about how we serve beneficiaries, how we talk about how we fulfill the mission has to be about about bringing the communities we serve into the mission with us. Our beneficiaries, our donors, our volunteers, our leadership, all working at the same level towards this this goal that the mission brings. So I think it is a leadership philosophy. Um, I think it is a it, it is that sort of vague culture of philanthropy ideal that we you know often talk about. Um, and it it has to be an intention amongst the staff who are working it, right? And so, whether you're a one-person shop with you know one grant writer who is also the person running the gala and you know trying to do major gifts as well, or you're a multi-layered sh- shop where you have somebody who is siloed over here, um, you know, who is just doing individual giving, and somebody over here who is grant writing, facilitate the conversations between them, make the space for, what are you saying in your grants? What are you hearing from grant funders? What are you hearing from individual donors? Bringing all of that information together on what is resonating, what is working, and here, you know, shocking, what if, what would happen if we started inviting beneficiaries to serve in our leadership roles, in our on our boards? What would happen if the people we serve had a voice in the governance of how they are served versus us sitting in a room with, you know, making decisions for them? Mm-hmm. What if they had a voice in how we write our grants and how we tell our stories, right? And they're be partnering with us and saying, yes, I see what you're saying in this grant. I see what you're saying in this direct mail appeal and, right, bringing their voices into it. I, I don't I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, right? Right. But mm-hmm. but I do think that we need to be focused on it and bringing it in and breaking down those disconnections between departments and disconnections between <laughs> disconnections between budget line items. For crying out loud, I think that's where some of the silos come. You know.
0: Yeah, that's I true. We we've, uh, that- we've go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, I was just saying, I was actually working on a, <clears throat> a grant that's to a funder I've not worked with before for one of my local clients and putting together, just looking at everything, trying to figure out what else information I needed. And one of the questions was was specifically, this project that you're planning to implement... What role did the people you're serving play in determining this mm-hmm. was a need? And I'm sitting there going,
0: "We're to share none is the answer." Okay. Um, that? Uh, I'm but, clutching my pearls in shock. Yes, what?
1: I know.
2: <laughs> right. But well, uh, I love that question. It's a great well, question from a funder.
1: It is, and it's. I, I love when they have questions that will spur organizations to do better next time. Um, and so I'm hoping that.
2: I do, too. But let's also acknowledge that our funders have put us in this, these positions, too. You know, for some of the things that they have required and some of the the questions and things that they have pushed on us have put us in these positions and had to, you know, drive some of these decisions, especially when the grant writer can't include anything on general operations or over overhead, quote unquote, you know, all yeah. of those bad taboo words. And so the grant writer and the and the program manager are over there digging deep into exactly what percentage of this salary goes to the grant and we have to track this. And, you know, I mean, that comes from our I've funders to too, and that's created yeah. it. And we can be, I, I, I came into the sector at a time when we were afraid of donors. I was kind of taught that. Sure. Sure. And I've had to unlearn that in recent years. We were afraid of donors; they had the power, right? I love mm-hmm. these conversations that are now happening of shared power dynamics, and yeah. you know, and and not being afraid to say to a funder, "This is really kind of a crappy question," and let me tell you why, you know, yeah. in a in a polite way, of course, but still, yeah. that's <laughs> I, I think I think a running theme through this is. We can all start to claim some of our own power, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and not have to work feeling so beholden to power dynamics and wealth dynamics and other things. And maybe maybe we need to be brave enough. Maybe we need to be strong enough to, you know what? We're not going to apply for that grant because they ask these kinds of questions that we just don't want to get into, which maybe then we need to diversify our funding more. Maybe we need to invest in these other streams more because we're not going to you know, apply for that grant that we've had for five years that has kept us in this restricted pipeline that we cannot get out of. And if we lose the grant, then we lose people. And if we lose people, then we lose serving beneficiaries because it's all grant dependent. So you know, it's, it's, it's how we really start to approach this approach. I see silver linings here. I'm jumping far ahead. I'm so sorry. I did warn you, right? Um, I see silver linings here. I see more and more funders, you know, um, being thoughtful about how they're approaching questions. I see more and more organizations standing up and saying, right? I see more conversations, but we also have to admit it is still prolific. It is still endemic in the sector that funders put us in tough positions sometimes.
1: And I feel it, like it Clay is just became the third member of fundraising havens. Yeah,
0: I, we I mean, yeah, we, so for, If you're doing. a new listener, this is we spend a lot of time talking about this and often ranting about this. And if you are uh, have been with us since 2018, you'll be like, I see. <laughs> we're still talking about <laughs> it, but that's important because it means that that there's still a lot of um, positive changes that could come about. But it's also a lot of people who get started in grant writing and that's their entree into the world of fundraising, it is a lot about following the rules. And it took me mm-hmm. about 10 years to go because of who I am and my privilege and my position. I didn't, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I can follow these rules, but are these rules any good? Are these specifications really what they need oh. to be? You know, and it just, but it took a while. And so I'm hoping that if you're listening and you've just entered the grants arena, yeah, just ask those questions now. And if a foundation repeatedly says, tell me about the makeup of your board and the this and that legitimate question, I would also want them to do the same thing. And if they're asking, have you included beneficiaries in your planning process, which you should do straight up, Mm -hmm. have they included Grant recipients and the how they yes. how yes. their proposals look like. So I, I guess what I'm saying is it goes both. I think it just definitely needs to go um, both ways. And we this is the why when we're talking about poking the bear. Um, this is oh, the why. Way. You know why are these rules that way? Why are they that way?
2: Listen, uh, Liz, I, Because you're bringing together a theme, and, and forgive me if I just interrupted you. I, just, I totally didn't intend. No, you. I'm good. You're you're bringing together a, th- a theme that has really been has been on my mind a lot. And it is ironic that we started with talking about our time at UGA together because we Gen X uh, is those of us that came up with uh, REM and Indigo Girls. And right, we, we ask tough questions. I mean, we, we, we were, I, I mean, I was protesting wars on the streets of, of Athens Right. I, I was I was running around campus in my act up shirt, right? Silence equals death. We asked tough questions that our generation did. And I guess this is, forgive me for this. I guess this is part of age, this is part of growth, this is part of life. Younger people today are asking even tougher questions. Oh yeah. That we did we didn't cons- we didn't consider asking. In many cases, it never occurred to me. To question authority because, well, they're they have the money, they have the power. I can't ask them that because I did grant applications where, if you so much as went one word over, you were immediately rejected. Sure. If your cover letter sure. didn't meet the exact qualifications of what they stated, you were immediately rejected. You know, and so you didn't question that. And I do think some of our younger people, I, and I am so excited by this coming into the profession, are asking questions tougher questions that we didn't have. Why do we do this this way? Why can't we challenge this donor? Why can't we? No, I'm going to apply for that because this, you know, the way this is structured is unfair, you know? So I, that's where also where I see silver linings, you know,
1: you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, total change of topic, but although, I wonder Although sure. maybe is it not though? really. Yeah. Yes, is it though? depends on your answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but through a lot of your articles and presentations and workshops, you are a big proponent of the power of one, which is an indigo girl song, by the way, yes. um, in understanding and using data. So would you explain what that is and how it works? Because I think it's more than the song, although it's a fabulous song. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um so when i talk about the power of one I, I, i'm usually talking about it in context of copywriting um and language as as and, and data as well um and, and I, I think it ties to i hate this phrase so much because of the words that it used, but is this is the technical phrase um right the the identifiable victim effect right which is that concept that we can't necessarily understand what it means right there are a million hungry people uh you know in the southwest today versus here's little johnny he went to bed hungry tonight because his mother can't afford food you know right so that identifiable victim effect the power of one is another way of of in in my mind a better way of stating that, right? We can relate to one person. We can relate to that story of one and allow them to stand in for the more global problem, the bigger issues, the systemic issues, etc. From a context of data and, and indeed in, in prepping for this discussion, right, you all actually prompted some thought too, because the power of one in data to me is about looking at our donors for who they are and allowing that one to kind of stand in as, you know, who is our quote unquote ideal donor, our typical donor. Again, we're especially in individual giving, we are working now with so much more information than we've ever had before um, that we can know more than just. What is your, you know, what's your address? Where do you live? What region of the country are you in? How much have you given and what your historical giving looks like? And, you know, in some worlds, right, adding a, a wealth screening to it, right? So we know where you live, we know who you are, and we know how much potential capacity you have. Now we're getting into much more demographics about behavior, values, you know, things like what your purchasing power is like, all the things that we can append to the data. So, so who is... Our donor, what does our what do people who support our mission and and our programs, what do they look like? What are their values? What do they believe? Right. And that power of one letting us kind of get to that demographic understanding of of who our donor audience is and also who our, our service audience is and who our community is. And then we can get even more granular on the different types of donors we have and how they behave and what the history looks like and all of that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, first of all, I just dawned on me the song's power of two, but I was off there. Sure. Right? One, two. Yeah, it's just <laughs> off one. Um, but that's no, just one number. No, but I, I especially, because I, I mostly deal on the grant side of things, not fundraising. Uh-huh. And I fully believe anytime I teach a writing class, I tell people, you know, you need those numbers to be able to describe the totality of whatever the situation is. So people need to understand is it five people? Is it 5,000 people? That's a big different thing. But For people who aren't having experienced whatever that thing is you're trying to help with, that one story that allows them to sort of step in their shoes, it really does open their eyes. You know, if I'm reading a a story about homelessness, yes, I can agree that, you know, if if 8,000 homeless people live in our community, that's a horrible thing. But what does that mean, really? What is for someone who hasn't ever? been without a home what does that look like you know what is that one story maybe like oh my gosh this is like i knew it was bad but i didn't know what it was like kind of a thing so or whatever it is that story you're telling so i love the this
2: is where i also get to the division between fundraising and marketing which also needs to end Mm -hmm. um and due respect to marketing professionals they are wonderful and they are great at what they do i am not a marketing professional i am a fundraiser right all fundraising writing is writing to one person, whether it's a grant, whether it's a proposal, right? And yeah. marketing in a gross generalization is writing to a larger community, right? So that, that know who you're writing to, right? Am I writing to a on average, 63-year-old uh, female whose kids have left the home who lives in a suburban area, right? That's a different way of writing than I am writing to the head of a family foundation that has these funding priorities. And I've done my research and I know they've funded these other areas and they have, you know, these family concerns and all of that, right? So knowing who we're writing to as a single audience versus trying to write globally to catch everybody's attention, that power of one in in that direct writing is much more effective, much more powerful and yields better results. Let's be honest. Yeah.
0: Okay. I think we've also, we've talked about this before, but it certainly bears repeating whether you're writing a, a letter, an actual letter that's going to go out in the mail or writing a grant. It's just helpful to know that people are going to be looking at this, whether it's the mm-hmm. person you identify, Clay, or whether it's uh, someone who's reviewing federal grants or state grants, who's doing this on, uh, they're off hours and they're tired. And so yes, you want to tell a good story, but you also want to make it so easy to follow and understand and answer every single thing in order, because this person is either doing this after dinner and the kids are in bed, or maybe they're up in the morning doing it, or they're on their lunch hour, but it's just sort of connecting to your you're reaching out to a person you're just using different forms whether it's an online portal or an actual letter or an email or text just think it's important to keep that in mind so thanks for holding that up
2: i there's one piece of advice that i have for everybody in fundraising grant writing nonprofit, especially this year um because we're we're talking in the early or mid part of 2022 and we're in a midterm election year pay attention, start keeping them. I know it's a pain, but start keeping all of the political messaging you get in your mailbox, all the hard copies of stuff, those postcards and letters and stuff. Political campaigns are brilliant, brilliant at writing to you about your values, right? And what that candidate is going to do for you and your values. They are phenomenally good examples of what exactly we're talking here about here. And they're phenomenally good examples of doing it in a very tight space.
0: Um That's true. So just yeah.
2: keep them and refer to them and you see some just brilliant ways of addressing again, values, community, um, direct messaging, you know, and then the call to action, vote, right? So it's it's they're great examples. So save save the ones that that resonate the most with you, I would.
0: Sometimes you can learn the most from from the ones that totally uh, piss you off because they're very, they're oh, also absolutely. very good at what they do. So yeah, just paying attention. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Paying attention. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, let's talk about some things, maybe like the top three that small to medium sized nonprofits can do to build stronger fundraising plans and get better results.
2: Um, so- number one, clear goals. Absolutely. Bottom line, clear goals. Um, what is your goal and what are your goals beyond just the budget line item you have to raise, right? So it's not just, I have to raise $1.5 million this year or whatever it may be, but it's how many donors, how many grants, how many grantors really drive down and, and, um, and, and drive and clearly define what the goals are are. Um, Adrian Sargent, in partnership with Barbara O'Reilly at Windmill Hill Consulting last year, or maybe the year before, um, released a study and a report, an extensive study on the effect of, of written plans on fundraising success. And they found that when there is a written fundraising plan in place, results are 147% higher. Wow! So just the fact of going through the process of planning, of good, solid planning with strategic goals, clear, smart, goals increases the the likelihood of success. So, so n- number one goal setting, um, number two, create a plan and stick to it, right? So identifying, I need, I have to raise one, one and a half million dollars. I need to do it from 5,000 donors, whatever it may be. Right. Um, okay. That's, that's a clear goal. And, and we're going to do this through, we are X number of grants at X number of dollars, X number of events at X number of dollars, X number of don't write and stick to the plan, especially in the times we're living in. And especially with the volatility in the economy and the political discussions and all of that now, because things are going to go haywire, write your plan and stick to your plan because the best plans allow for deviation, right? Right. The best plans are written and you have the plan and you know where you're going and your board's coming out and you're going, hey, we should do this thing. And you're like, nope, wasn't in the plan. You voted on and approved the plan, not in the plan, not doing it, right? Um, or you get halfway through your plan and you find that everything has gone haywire and you've got enough knowledge now to know, okay, this didn't work for us to achieve this plan. So we are going to try something else here because we have the room to deviate and without if you're just grabbing at everything right and doing what you've always done without that written plan to really know where it is and where you can deviate and where you need to stick to the plan, then the opposite is you're just floundering um you know a dream without a plan is just a wish um uh, and and then third um I really do believe, In addition to equity and inclusion, I really do believe that the number one skill and investment that all fundraisers and nonprofit leaders need to be making right now is in technology. We are past the time when we can say, I don't understand tech. I don't understand data. It's too hard. It's too complex for me. I never log into the CRM because I don't get it. We have to get past those. and We might have some pain points, but we are in the connection economy in a technological age. And the better we know how to understand data, what it's telling us, how it's moving, and how our tech stack works and what it can do, the better we're going to be able to respond to whatever may happen. One of the trends in individual giving right now um, is there's a lot of discussion about the increase in Um, And this is just one example of what I'm talking about. There's a lot of discussion about the increase in online giving. It's jumped up to 13% of total giving. Wow. (laughs) I keep, I kind of keep saying, well, that means there's like a whole like 87% that's happening elsewhere. There's like
0: other stuff happening. Yeah.
2: Maybe Mm -hmm. let's not get so excited about it, but it has over the last three or four years jumped from 8% to 13%. We got to go digital. Well, do you? Because one of the things that is not being tracked that we don't know is how many of those online donors are giving in response to a mail piece. How many of your major gift donors actually got your direct mail or saw your annual report or saw something else and then went and gave online because we're getting more used to giving online now. So there's a big push to kind of drop print because it's expensive and it's tough, right? But we don't know how much it's driving. It is very simple and most of our CRMs do this now. You can create customized URL codes, websites that relate directly to your mailing. And when they get your mailing, they go to that custom website and they make a gift and your CRM will go, aha. This is a person who got this giving page in their direct mail piece or in their major gift ask letter. And so we can actually track that, ah, this online gift is in response to a mail piece versus this online gift that just came through our main page, right? Using QR codes. My point being, understanding what our tech and reporting can do can improve our methodology so much. Valuing data as an asset of an organization because nonprofits' data is getting hacked. Our CRMs are getting attacked by ransomware and other things. Data has to be kept secure. It has to be kept private, and it has to be kept valuable um, because it is an asset. And when 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 we're still keeping things in separate spreadsheets and on Post-it notes and you know written in our our planners. And don't get me wrong, I'm a planner addict. Um, and, you know, but that's our only CRM, right? Like uh, yeah, th- that to me is the third most important part of this, of the skill set that we need to be investing in. Nice. Yeah. I, in uh.
0: That uh, summary, because yeah, it's pretty. The, I, for a while I was like, who would want to, you know, who would want to do, pull the ransomware kinds of things on nonprofits, but duh, because they can access the information of the people who support them. So word to I, the wise.
2: Yeah. Right. And data has, well, I
1: I worked at an organization where I was the lone grant person that did it all the research, the writing, the management. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, they're wanting me to step up. So one of the things we invested in was a management system. So all my program, all my police officers and park and rec people, instead of calling me constantly for questions like when's that next report due or how much money do I have left to spend? It's all, I, I spent the time got all the info in there. So all they have to do is log in. Guess how many people use that system?
0: I'm thinking less than 1%.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I think maybe one other than me gave it a whirl. Everybody else just kept calling me because they had been for years and it was just more comfortable for them. Right. And I didn't push back, but you're absolutely right. Systems don't work if you can't get buy-in of everybody (laughs) because it's, yeah, it just doesn't work.
2: I work very hard to be a kind and gentle person. I work very hard to be, you know, loving and understanding. And I hope that teams I have managed, I I know some of them have some complaints about me and I own my faults there, Um, but I hope that I have been encouraging. But one of the things that I very often found myself saying, uh, especially the last time I was a chief development officer, you know, I just don't have time to log in and check the CRM. I just, you know, I'm running all the time. There's so much going on. Um, you know, and I just I don't I forget my password and blah blah blah. And I would respond, you don't have a problem logging in and posting on Instagram, so maybe <laughs> maybe you can maybe that it's not a tech issue and maybe it's a values issue, you know. I, I mean mm-hmm. again, I go to us in, in the seats, I mean grant writers empower the grant writers to be able to hold others accountable to say, if you don't enter this, I can't do my job. And if I don't do my job, we don't get funding. So
0: no more money. Yeah, These are
2: the consequences, Absolutely. right? Empower, empower staff to hold others accountable. And it has to come from leadership and the executive director and the chief development officer. I'm sorry, this is going to sound really, really cruel. I don't mean it to, but... The executive director, the CEO, and the chief development officer can no longer publicly say, oh, I don't understand all of that. The staff take care, so no, takes care of no, it. I mean, no, no, of It has to end because no. if you if you want to drive this funding, you want to hit those goals, we need to be using the tech. We need to be recording it in one place. Everybody needs to be able to access it, and that comes from you.
0: Well Amen. said.
2: Amen Sorry, that. that was a bit of a rant. <laughs> Definitely. No, no,
0: because we never ran a rant on this podcast. podcast. Like, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. We're just, we're just the facts. We're just talking about word count, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's. I it. don't
2: want to be the one of those voices that beats up on anybody in the sector because it is hard work, and there is a lot going on. And I know the three of us are here encouraging, supporting everybody that's listening and loving on them, going, We know you have tough jobs. We know this is hard. And yes, I might rant about you can't do that anymore, but I hope it comes across in love and I hope it comes across in support and is, you know, good advice to help right tackle that that I problem. Think so.
0: I absolutely I think yeah. so. And you can't be this terrible, terrible person at all, Clay and Ranty, because your online presence is heavily populated by canine furry (laughs) lovables. And we would not be our podcast if we did not ask the hard, critical questions like, well, how are your dogs doing and what are they up to now? This This is what the public wants to know.
2: The one motto by which I live my life is, you know, God help me be the person my dog thinks I am. That's right. My dogs are wonderful. My dogs oh. are wonderful. They're great. <laughs> I have a, a one-year-old who just turned one-year-old English Cream Golden Retriever. Um, he is a wild man. He is completely Sounds fancy. He's not Cr- fancy. He's stupid. Oh, okay. He's a Golden Retriever, okay. right?
0: Well, um, okay, fair to be he's fair. Happy.
2: Right, Sweet as the day is long, dumb as the hills, loving as all get out, and at the moment is forgetting any training that he's possibly learned. Um, so he's a handful. Um, and I have a 12-year-old, one-eyed, yellow laboratory retriever that has um, multiple different forms of cancer, a, an oh. immune disorder that means he can't be vaccinated, so he can't leave the house, all kinds of health issues, and he is the kindest, sweetest most lovable, wonderful, generous dog you have ever met in your life. And he's perfectly fine and wonderful. And his younger brother hops on him and beats up on him. And he just lays there and grunts at him. And, you know, they're great. You know, so we live in Las Vegas. Things. It's 112 today. So they're in that. Um, yeah, we don't get to leave the house for three months, but they're fine. <laughs> they're
0: good. What, and would they really <laughs> want to leave the house with all that luxurious Fur and and all that. I mean, would they really? Not in
2: this temperature. No, 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 not in this temperature. No, no. But winters, winters in uh, Nevada are wonderful for dogs like this. So they love they love getting out and hiking and you know all that kind of good stuff. But nice.
0: Yeah. Well, Clay, again, thanks so much for taking us oh, in all these wonderful, wonderful directions. And if people want to learn more about. What it is you do when you're not being the world's best dog dad? Um, <laughs> how can they? How can they uh, find you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you?
2: Um, of course you already mentioned my website, tcbfundraising.com. Um, I do produce a a monthly newsletter that's just full of tips and tricks and strategies. And, um, it's really focused primarily on planning, uh, and strategy. So sign up on the website. Uh, I am on LinkedIn a fair amount and I am on Twitter, uh, at T Clay Buck. And that's pretty much where you can find me everywhere is T Clay Buck. Uh, and, and I'll show up.
1: That's Twitter is how I met you. So it's That's good right. to start.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. We loved having you.
0: Thanks. Uh, it's Clay. my
2: pleasure. What a great conversation. And thank you both for putting this out in the world. It's wonderful.
0: Yay. As always, thank you so much for listening. Your continued support is the reason that we are deep into season five, um, and are planning for season six. I still can't believe it. Um, Please follow and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts. Or um, if you're listening to us on Spotify, follow and share the show with your friends. The more people that we can reach through this, I just think the better it will be for us all. We all learn from each other and um, we really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again to our Season 5 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We so appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website at dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest free resources today. Like Kimberly said, we're so honored you chose to spend time with us today and we hope you tune in for our next episode in two weeks which is all about working with your board of directors. And oh, yes, it's
0: something we all love. It always it goes is. well. I don't even know why we're getting it
1: <laughs> Yeah, we've talked about this on the show before, but this time we're bringing in an outside opinion because you can never have enough ideas.
0: An on incredibly uh, talented board wrangler and all things associated. So, Absolutely. see ya. So,
1: y'all want to miss it.
0: Bye.